Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Wow. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Did y'all notice when you came into church that it smelled like a wonderful roast? Did anyone? Raise your hand if you noticed that smell. Yeah. Well, thanks to Rebecca Galloway, our children's minister, who decided to put a roast in our church oven. It smells wonderful this morning, and none of you is going to hear a word I say because your stomach is growling so badly. But uh, if y'all see Reba, just tell her what time is lunch because we'll all be ready to eat it whenever it's ready. But I thought that was so funny. I was like, it's like Disney World when they had the 4D experience. We wanted you to even smell Mother's Day this morning. So we are working through the Bible or through 2 Samuel. So turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. And as you turn, let me just briefly review what's been going on in the book up until this point. So the author has been very carefully selecting things about David to record for us as readers. And in doing so, he's, he's been showing us the best of David. And he's shown us what a faithful person who is after God's heart looks like. I mean, really, we, it almost seems like David is sinless up until this point. He just trusts and obey the Lord. And then we see also in the book, the whole point of how the book is used in the Bible is to show you that he also is a foreshadowing of Christ, the ultimate king who is to come. But today we see he is that David is a sinner after all. So today we come to David's sin with Bathsheba. Happy Mother's Day! I was like, wow, God, this is awesome. So... Since it's Mother's Day, my aim is to demonstrate how faithful mothers deal with sin. Of course, it's not just for mothers, but if you think about it, one of the greatest blessings that you as a mother can give your children and your family is a model of how to deal with sin. And that's what we're going to look at, and all of us can learn through David's example, who is presented as a man after God's own heart, but we're going to see today how he deals with sin in his life. So let me just ask the Lord for help this morning. Lord, would you equip us, especially mothers this morning, to be faithful in the way they deal with sin, to be models of faithfulness in their homes before the eyes of their watching children. And as we honor mothers today, use our time in the Word to equip them to be the mothers that they long to be, though we all are still imperfect and struggle with failure. God, bless our families, bless the mothers, for, for the good of the mothers, for the good of our families, and for your own glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to read through chapter 11 first. And in chapter 11, what do we see? We see that David sins. In chapter 11, 2 Samuel 11, verses 1 through 27, David sins. It says, In the springtime of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Now, pause there for a minute. So if I can set the scene for you, you have David and his armies aware that the northern boundary of Israel is being threatened by the enemies of God called the Ammonites. And he knows the best form of defense is an offense to get on the offensive, to, to go on offense against the Ammonites to make sure they don't give up any territory to the enemies of God. 
And that phrase, but David remained at Jerusalem, it jumps out at us in setting the context for the scene. It's very typical for a, a, a king not to go out into battle, but the way it's written, it seems to me a part of an intentional literary device to see, kind of create this idea of David is hanging back and he's not on offense. He's not attacking the enemies of God. He's not being vigilant to, to continue to be concerned about pushing back the enemies of God. So with that in mind, we get to verse 2. It says, And it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch, and he is walking on the roof of the king's house, which was very common in the day. There was a cool breeze. It says that he saw from the roof a woman who was bathing, which also was common in the day. And the woman was very beautiful. Now at this point, there is no sin. Temptation itself is not a sin. But how does David respond? What does he do next? In verse 3, we notice very quick action, David verb, David verb, David verb, and it's very quickly. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers, he took her, she came in and lay with her. Now she was purifying herself from uncleanness, then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent to David, I am pregnant. And the way it's written is, wow. I mean, we've gone from these large, large scenes of nations rising against nation and details. And in and, and this quick span of time, we see how quickly David falls. The way it's written is, is it's just like, boom, just like that, he fell. Think about all that's been going on in these texts, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, is just this slow, obedient faithfulness and step of faithfulness after step of faithfulness, obedience after obedience, long, patient obedience. David finally arrives, and now he's king. And in an instant, he falls. And that's the way it's written. David saw. David sent. David took Bathsheba's pregnant. The point that the author wants to see, you are always, always at war against sin. Don't ever take a day off. Children in the room, I want you to hear me carefully because I know your parents have probably taught you not to use the word stupid. We do not call people stupid. I am quoting a seminary professor. So when I say this, don't go home and say, Pastor Tracy said stupid, so I can say stupid. But my seminary professor who taught me many wonderful things, I've shared with you one of the greatest things he ever taught me in seminary was, Pastors, remember, you are always one step from stupid. And that's what he taught us. And how true it is. How quickly one falls. It reminds me of the days when we would go to Lake Washita and we would go cliff jumping and we would go up the long, slow, arduous process of no shoes on and it would, the rocks would hurt your feet. It was a painful climb, but you knew it was going to be so much fun. You'd finally get up there, you'd look around, you'd jump, and before you know it, it was over. And that's what's happening in David's life. 
after all the slow, steady obedience and faithfulness that we've been seeing, in an instant, he sins. And then what does he do next? Look at verse 6. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going, which he did not care at all about. He's scheming. He's not being genuine. This is not the David we've come to know. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. What's he doing? He's trying to get Uriah to go be with his wife to hide the real truth about her pregnancy. He's scheming. He's lying. Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord. And he did not go down to the house. And when they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, now listen to these words. These sound like what David would say. The words of a a humble man of God who is putting others above himself. Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah, they dwell in booths. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord, they're camping out in an open field. Shall I really then go down to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. And so you see this like role reversal. This David who's been like this man of God is scheming and sinning and trying to cover up his sin. And then you see this man who's pictured Uriah is a righteous man. And he's saying, no, I'm not going to do that when everyone else is doing this. And so then David said to Uriah, he's he's not going to be... He's not going to let anyone know about his sin, so he's going to keep pushing harder. Then David said, Uriah, will remain here today also, and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem a day and the next, and then David invited him, and he ate at his presence, and he drank, and so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with his servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning David was determined to cover his sin. And so David wrote a letter to Joab, out on the front lines, and he sent it by the hand of Uriah himself. And in the letter he wrote, Put Uriah in the forefront, and the hardest fighting, and when he's fighting, draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. How sick and twisted is this? This is David, a man after God's own heart. And just as he's planned, as Joab was besieging the city, faithfully serving David, He assigned Uriah Uriah, the place where he knew there were valiant men on the other side. And the men of the city came out, fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. So not just Uriah, but some other servants of David in his covering up of sin, they died. And then Uriah the Hittite also died. So David has committed adultery. David has lied. David has schemed. David has done everything he can to make sure that he's not outed and that no one knows about his sin. And in the process, he has killed several people and Uriah, who has presented nothing but a righteous, faithful servant of the Lord. 
Then you skip down to verse 25, 26, I should say. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But let's be clear, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So David has gone from a picture of faithfulness to a picture of foolishness in an instant. He stopped waging war with sin. And in an instant, he fell. You must stay on offense. You must always be fighting sin. As John Owen says, you must always be killing sin or sin will be killing you. You can never take a break. It's deceptive. It's coming at you through your blind spots. You can never take a break. And it's warfare. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. He doesn't say stroll away from it. He uses flee, run as fast as you can. Use all the energy you have to flee away from sexual immorality. 1 Peter 2, 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Don't flirt with it. Don't, don't toy with it. Completely stay away from it. Realize that it is waging war for your soul. It is looking for a way, if at all possible, to absolutely destroy your soul. 2 Corinthians 10, Paul uses the same warfare language. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war. There's a presumption that you are waging war against sin. But understand, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. There is a force that is using all of its might to get strongholds on your life and to destroy your soul. And the Bible says, do not take a day off from waging war against sin. Because in a moment, you could be a fool. Don't ever think you've arrived and are beyond temptation. So mothers... Remember, it only takes a second to fall. Always remain vigilant to wage war against sin. And what a great model for your children to see you passionately, vigilantly committed to holiness in the home and in your life. Maintain a wartime footing. So David sins in chapter 11 so quickly. Next we see David listens. Another thing we want to do, we want to listen to God's word in verses 1 through 12. And the Lord sent Nathan. Nathan is a prophet, which represents the word of God to David. For us, we think of it as our Bibles. 
And the prophet Nathan came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. A rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man, nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and he grew up with him and with his children. It's like a pet. It's like a family pet. It's like my dog. My family knows it's my dog. When I come and sit down, that dog gets in my lap because I fed it. And I'm the favorite, and they all have to admit it. And this, this little lamb is just this treasured little pet. It used to eat morsels and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. And then he says, now there came a traveler to the rich man, the rich man who had all these, these different herds of animals, plenty to choose from, plenty to spare. And a traveler came to him, but he was unwilling to take just one of his own flock and herd to prepare for the guest who had come into him. But instead, he took the poor man's lamb and he slaughtered it and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And then David heard this. His anger was greatly kindled against this man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, this man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing. And because he had no pity. This is what the word of God does as we read it. The Word of God reveals to us, and no matter what condition that we've been in, it won't let us play games, that there is a right and a wrong. There is a justice that God expects, and when we read it, we're confronted with that justice. It won't allow us to continue to play games and to justify and pretend that we have no sin, as we see David doing, because the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and gets very personal. Listen to what happens next in verse 7. Nathan said, you are the man. Not like, you're the man. He says, no, you're that man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. He says to David, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I have blessed you and blessed you and blessed you. And I gave you your master's house. I gave you your master's wives into your arms. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would have done as much more. I have lavished you with grace upon grace upon grace. Why have you despised the word of Yahweh? To do what is evil in his sight. That's what God's word does. And then God's word reveals the secrets of their heart. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword. And you have taken his wife to be your wife. And have killed with the sword of the Ammonites. You got to quit blaming the Ammonites. You got to quit hiding. You think you're covering up your sin. And God's word says, I see it all. And that's a gift. But then the word of God continues to reveal the terrible, terrible consequences of David's sin. 
Continuing in verse 10, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you, because you have despised me, the Lord says, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he will lie with your wives, she will lie with your wives in the sight of the sun, for you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the sun. So David thought his sin was done in secret. But the word of God comes to him and says, I see your sin. It's not in secret. Paul says in Romans 2, 16, that on the day of judgment, when God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus, all will be revealed. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, speaking of the day of judgment, it says, And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to all they had done. That's why God's word, the Bible, is a tremendous gift to us. Because it does what Nathan is doing to David. It says, you're in sin. Stop. The path that you're on is wreaking havoc in your life. You think you're getting away with it. You're justifying it. You're rewriting it. You're calling it by other names. But you are guilty. Repent. Turn from that sin. Don't keep going down this path of destruction. Mothers, make it a lifestyle to read the word of God. That is the greatest gift you can give to your children. That they see you. I I know, I, I, I don't fully know. But I can imagine how hard it is as a mother because you have so much pulling you in every direction. There is no moment of the day that you get any peace and quiet alone. And you hear me say, read the word, and you're going, I can't, I don't have time. Okay, just five minutes. Just figure out a way to open that word and just spend a little time with the word and with Jesus. And that is the greatest gift Better than soccer practice, better than gymnastics, better than anything else that you could provide your child is for them to see you have a little time with the Word of God. Husbands, do something so they can have some time in the Word of God. Right? Because that is the greatest gift that you can give your children is to be in the Word of God because it is going to convict you a painful conviction of sin, remind you of the consequences, but call you to repentance. David sinned, but David listened. So now David confesses. Look at verse 13. Listen to how fast it happens. It's such a glorious little phrase, the way the writer writes it. Verse 13, David said to Nathan, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Wow. And that's the gospel. That's what the word of God does 
When you're in the word, it reveals sin, says this is you, you're guilty. And when you confess, and confess just means simply to agree with God, to take God's side against sin instead of sin's side against God. And say, yes, God, I have sinned against you. And God says, well, because of Jesus Christ, I have put away your sin. You will not die because my son died in your place. Amen? That's Mother's Day present. Now we know his confession was much more expansive than this because we read in Psalm Psalm 51 the words of David. I'm just going to read a few of the verses of his confession, what was going on in his heart. This is what we we need to have going on in our heart when the word of God reveals our sin. In Psalm 51, the little title above tells us that this is a psalm of David when Nathan, what we're reading about, the prophet, went into him after he had gone to Bathsheba. And it says that David wrote these words, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, my sin, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. You hear the, the, the guilt the sin has been tormenting him with, though he's trying to cover it up. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You see, he knows he sinned against Bathsheba and Joab and Uriah and and those families, but he knows ultimately it's not just a horizontal offense, it's an offense to God Almighty. So that you're justified in your words and blameless in your judgment that I deserve because I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. I was born sinful. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. That is heartfelt confession to the Lord. Owning his sin, not making it sound pretty, but totally laying it out there, confident that the Lord will cover him with Jesus' righteousness. 1 John 1, 9 says to you that if you will do like this, confess your sins, you will find that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what the word of God spurs you on to do, is to see that Christ was crucified on the cross so that he would take the death that you and I deserved for our sin. And the true believers, truly faithful men and women of God, know that their whole life is a lifestyle of confessing their sin and throwing themselves on the mercies of God, thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses them of all unrighteousness. This is what you have to offer your children You don't have to be phony and pretend you don't sin. But when you do, you go to your kids and say, Oh, I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ. And teach them to confess their sin and to throw themselves on the mercies of Christ. Take God's side against sin. Don't dabble with it. 
wage war, but bathe in the refreshing and cleansing waters of Jesus' forgiveness over and over. And he will say, in Christ, if you're trusting in Christ, I have put away your sin, you shall not die. But we see David suffered many consequences for his sin. Sin has a high price in this life. Verse 14, nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. Thank God that he crucified his own son for us, that this is not what we face every time we sin. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. He still worshiped God. He's still trusting God. He's not blaming God. David fasted and he went and lay all night. Oh Lord, that you would save my child. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground. But he refused. He would not. Nor did he eat food with them. And on the seventh day his child died. And then verse 20, then David arose from the earth. He washed and anointed himself and he changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and he what? Worshipped. He's not blaming God. He's not holding a grudge against God. He's owning it. And that's what we must do. He takes responsibility for his own sin. He accepts the consequences. And he continues to worship God for his grace, for his forgiveness, for the fact that he still has a future in God's plan. And that's what we see next. Next we see David restored David sins, David listens to the word of God, David confesses, and now David is restored. It says in verse 24, then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went in with her and they lay with her and they bore a son and he called his name Solomon and the Lord Yahweh loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah. Because of the Lord. So here we see, and in the verses that follow, he gets victory again over war. God is restoring David as if he had never sinned. And he shows his love to him despite this terrible sin. We're told that he said, he, he has made peace is what the name Solomon means. He has made peace. And we are told the Lord loved him. And the Lord wanted you to name him Jedediah, which means beloved of the Lord. So God is showing his grace, his mercy, and saying, I have a plan for your life, even though you have made such a mess of it with sin. It is through David that Jesus comes. It is David that God chose and David that who is lifted up as a man after God's own heart. And yet David is still a sinner, just like us. But what a man and a woman after God's heart does when they sin is they listen to the word of God. They confess, they agree this is sin. They turn away from it and they turn to Christ and they find their forgiveness and their righteousness in Christ. And they are restored and they have a future hope. God does not quit on you because of your sin. 
So moms, the greatest gift you can give your children this morning and in the days ahead is showing them, modeling for them, how you deal with sin. Never stop waging war against sin. Stay in God's word. Quickly confess and turn away from it and enjoy the restoration that is found in Christ. Let's pray together. God, you tell us through the writer of Hebrews to consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted in our struggle against sin for we have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding our own blood like Jesus did. Lord, help us this morning Strengthen us all this morning, especially mothers, that we might give our children the blessed picture, the blessed model of how to deal with sin faithfully. Bring refreshing and renewal to families all around as they are reminded that in Christ they can have forgiveness and a future. That you have a great plan that nothing can thwart the plans of God. Bring refreshing and renewal this Mother's Day morning for your own glory. It's in Christ's name we pray.